I have in my hand, probably a little far away for you to see, Legos. Okay? Uh, these don't come from my own personal collection. I had to borrow these. Okay. Legos, back in 1949 is when the Lego company started. And over the course of time, there have been 560 billion individual Lego pieces created. That's a lot of plastic, folks. And some of you are familiar with these because your children or grandchildren love to get together and start putting together the pieces and making things. Others of you are familiar because you've actually stepped on one in the middle of the night. Okay, that's a rude awakening because these things, you don't think they have, are really sharp until you actually step on one with a bare foot. Um, over the, this last year alone, Lego had $4.6 billion in sales. That didn't even include their movie. Who would have ever thought there would be a movie about Legos? But $406 billion. The neat thing about it is, no matter how many different variations and combinations, and quite frankly, I didn't have as much imagination uh, or as many different kinds of pieces when I was uh, younger, or nor did my kids, but no matter how far they develop the Legos, one thing is simple. It's a little block that connects with other blocks. Individually, there's not much to them. But together, they make something greater than the individual parts. Here's an example. Watch this. Budapest's 5th District, Antal Rogan, prepares to place the final piece on top of the city's Lego tower hoping it will be enough for a new world record. Today in Hungary, um, Lego Store Budapest achieved a new Guinness World Record, which is 34.76. The 114-foot column in front of St. Stephen's Basilica gets the nod from Guinness World Records as the tallest obelisk built from Lego blocks. Mayor Rogan hopes the record will promote Hungary's capital around the world. But if you plan to see the Lego Tower when you visit, you'll be too late. It only stood for one day and was disassembled on May 26. That's pretty impressive. That's an awfully large thing, but it was made from these. Individual little blocks put together to make something far greater than the little blocks. And the church is a lot like that. Together as we're guided by Jesus, together as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, together we're greater than we are separate. Together we're greater than we are individually. It's pretty neat that Jesus would tell his disciples that, you know, I'm going to the Father and I'm going to send the Spirit and you will do even greater things than I have done because I go to the Father. But we can't do that separately. We do that together as the people of God. Community was always very important in the Bible. You can see it in both the Old and the New Testaments. Belonging is part of what it meant and part of what it means to be a child of God. It's not just an individual thing. It's not just you know me and Jesus against the world. 
We were meant to be part of community. Now, each one of us is different. Each one of us is unique. That is so fascinating. With so many people that live on the planet, we're all different. No two of us are identical. That's just an incredible thing to think about, that we are all different. I mean, you can look around and you can see just the differences here, the differences even in your own family. We're all different. We all have different gifts, different talents, different passions, different preferences. We're all different. And yet what God has done is he has brought this, each of these unique people together, united us in our faith and mission, and then has created something greater with us together than we could have ever have been apart. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. Now you collectively, not you individually, you collectively are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Now, you're more important than a Lego. These are just for illustration purposes. But together, we can create something far greater than we could ever do individually. Here's the simple truth. If you want to know what we're getting to, this is it. When a member of the body, the body of Christ, does not function together with the entire body, it is harmful to both the mission of the church and the spiritual life of that believer. Now, that's a pretty bold statement. And after today, I hope that you will come to understand that this is true. If we are functioning individually, certainly there are things that we can do, blessings that we can make, uh, people that we can share the gospel with. Yes, there are things that we can and should do individually as believers, individually as, as families. But God didn't create us to be separate. He didn't create us to be lone rangers. He, con- he created us to connect. He con- created us to be part of something greater. And when we say, nah, it's not for me. I don't need the church. I don't need to connect. I don't need a small group. We do that to our own harm. And we also hamper the cause of Christ. Now, once you eclipse 50, you begin to learn that some things in your body didn't work quite as well as they used to. If you're not there yet, you'll get there. You know, uh, I I told somebody, or I asked somebody once, I said, do you ever... Those days that you wake up and nothing hurts, yeah, me neither. Because that doesn't happen anymore. After 50, something always hurts. Something always is falling apart. Nancy told me this morning that she should have checked the warranty before she married me. That was a fine print in the wedding ceremony. We didn't get to that. Okay, but... When the body doesn't work together, when your body, when you got up this morning, you, your head coordinates all the stuff that takes place in your body. And if it, it functions correctly, you're able to get out of bed, you're able to go brush your teeth, take a shower, whatever you need to do, eat breakfast, get dressed and get here. But when the parts of your body aren't working like they're supposed to, it slows down the whole process. And in fact, there's some things you can't do when your body parts aren't working together. We got some people who are missing this morning. Who would be here otherwise, except their body parts aren't working the way they're supposed to. And so they're laid up. They're hampered. And we need to understand that's true not only for our individual bodies. It's true 
for the body of Christ. God's design is that we be connected. God's will is that we be connected. So we're going to do something a little differently this morning. I'm actually going to have us just kind of sit in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read through the entire chapter, but not at once. We're going to read it in chunks. And I'm going to try to make some comments as we go through, because this is a powerful, uh, powerful set of verses that, that uh, Paul puts together, Ephesians chapter 2. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to look there this morning. So I'll give you just a moment to find that. If you did not bring a Bible with you, that's okay. Um, there's a handout that you can use, and it will have the scriptures in it. But what we're going to find here in Ephesians chapter 2 is that Paul's going to take the time to tell us what we were before we were in Christ and to tell us what we are now that we are in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning reading with verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who also lived among them at, that, lived among them at, at one time, gratifying the desires, the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So Paul begins this portion of his letter by reminding them of who they were before they were in Christ. And basically he says, you were dead. Spiritually, you were dead. It wasn't just that you were defective. It wasn't just that you were a little dirty. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses. You were dead. And quite frankly, we need to remember that. We often think that that what we needed was to get some of the dings out and get a fresh coat of paint. That's not what scripture teaches. Before we were in Christ, we were dead in our sins, dead in our transgressions. We followed the pattern of the world, which is dictated by the evil one who's Satan. We followed that pattern, that pattern that leads to sin, that pattern that leads to selfishness. That was what governed our lives. I was there. I remember it well. Some of you do too. When I was spiritually dead and I pursued only those things that gave me pleasure, that gave me satisfaction. And very often they led to places I never thought that they would go. And when I was in that way spiritually, it says here that I was deserving of God's wrath. That God was fully justified as I lived in rebellion to him. To wipe me off the face of the earth. That's, what I, that's who I was. And that's what the way Paul begins. Is he's reminding the Ephesians of who they were. He goes on. Pick up in verse 4. But because of his great love for us. God who is rich in mercy. Made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When we read that, recognizing who we were and knowing who we are, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should dance a jig. Of course, I have no idea what dancing a jig is. But it should, call, I mean, it should make us absolutely burst forth with joy to recognize who we were and now who we are in Christ. We were dead, but we were made alive. It says here that God motivated by pure love, and God is the purest love we, we, we can't even fathom how pure his love is. Motivated by pure love, God acted. God acted according to his mercy, which has not given us what we deserve, and his grace, which has given us what we don't deserve. How did he do this? By sending his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for your sins and for my sins on a cross, to pay our price to do for us what we could not ourselves do, to die in our place. And in doing so, those who place their faith in him have moved from darkness to light, from death to life in Christ. Not only this, he also says we have been seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. In other words, we have been made, a place has been made for us forever with Christ. It is as if we're already there. That, that, does this not excite you? Think about it. You were dead, now you're alive, and not only do you have life in Christ, your sins have been forgiven, but you have a reservation in heaven. Your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. And you will be there one day because of Christ. Don't miss this because there was nothing you did. There was nothing I did that gained this. It is a free gift of God that is received by grace through faith. And it's to be shared with others. It's one of the exciting things about being able to put a New Testament in people's hands, about being able to share the gospel presentation with people, about giving them a track. We, we don't know what God's going to do with that. We have a number of Gideons in our church. When they place a, a New Testament in the hands of a student, when they put a Bible in a hotel room, they don't know that God's going to do anything particularly with that piece of Scripture, but they have story after story after story, testimony after testimony after testimony, that a person at the end of their rope found God's Word, God's truth, and their lives were changed forever. What will that track do? What will that New Testament do? What will that expression of love do? to bring someone to a point where they may fall on their knees and accept Christ as Savior and Lord. We did nothing to deserve that, but we've received it and so we share it. 
It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that we're saved. And we've become God's handiwork, his workmanship, his masterpiece. Don't underestimate this. I don't know what you see when you look in the mirror. Masterpiece may not be on the top of your list. But what God sees is something differently. And what God is trying to do in you is something completely different. I'm not a good painter. But I enjoy painting. Here's the deal. I have a canvas. I have paints. I don't paint very frequently. But when I do paint, it's going to be a five-hour project. From start to finish. I'm not talking about painting a wall in a room. I'm talking about painting on, on canvas, okay? Five-hour project. I'm not in this thing for the long haul, okay? There's a blank canvas. There's paint. Paint goes on the canvas. Painting done in five hours or less, okay? That's the way I paint. But in the process, I'm constantly adding to, during that period of time, I'm constantly adding to, mixing colors, trying different things on the canvas, and from blank canvas to finished product, which is somewhat displayable at the end, I step back and I get great satisfaction in what is portrayed there, being the creator of that. God is in the process of doing that in your life. And you may look and say, well, you know what? I don't look like much right now. But guess what? God's not finished. God's still working on you. God's still adding pain. He's still changing things. He's still morphing you and changing you. And what I want to beg you to do this morning is to don't work against him. Work with him. We sometimes are just resistant to what God's trying to do. We, we get stubborn. We get, we get not resilient. We, we get stiff. Matter of fact, God often referred to his people in the Old Testament as stiff-necked people. They just wouldn't bend. They wouldn't, they wouldn't bow. God's trying to produce in us the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. God's trying to do that in your life and in my life. That's what he's working on over and over and over and over and over again. And sometimes we get very resistant to that. I just want to encourage you. Let God apply the paint and trust him that he has a masterpiece in mind. We are his workmanship, his handiwork, his masterpiece. But being a masterpiece doesn't mean we're passive. Because we are created in Christ to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is so cool. Sometimes you think, oh, wow, there's an opportunity. I didn't know that. God's not surprised. God had that opportunity, and he's been preparing you to bring you alongside that opportunity, and the two simply mesh. It's not by accident. God created you in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he in advance has already prepared for you to do. Let's move on. Verse 11. Therefore, therefore, remember... That formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope 
and without God in the world. Remember who you formerly were. That's how he begins. Remember. Now, when we say remember, what he's not saying is um, don't get bogged down and burdened by the guilt of the person you used to be. That's what Satan really wants to do to you. And he will continue to remind you and remind you and remind you and remind you over and over and over again of the person you used to be before Christ in an attempt to weigh you down and to burden you with guilt. That's not good. It's not meant to be an anchor. Remembrance is not meant to be an anchor. But instead, you know, it is healthy to remember from time to time where you came from. It's healthy to know God, you know, I used to be X, but now, now it's entirely different. My life has changed forever. Paul specifically in this passage refers to Gentiles. And the reason for that is the church in Ephesus was made up primarily of Gentiles who converted to Christianity. They did not come out of Judaism. Now, I'm not going to spend a a great deal of time on this, but what you need to know is that the Jews pretty much despised the Gentiles and the feeling was mutual. And so Jesus being Jewish and Christianity coming out of Judaism into this this new, uh, I won't say new religion, this new, new understanding of the relationship God wanted us to have with him, these Gentiles were, were brought in. They, they believed the good news of Jesus. Now, formally, he says, you were called uncircumcised. Well, uh, most of us who are adults know what that means. Okay, uncircumcised. The sign of Judaism that a, a male belonged to the community of faith was that he was circumcised. The Gentiles were not circumcised. And so they were called the uncircumcised, but it wasn't just an observation of their physical characteristic. It was meant to be a derogatory term. They were putting them down. We're saying, you people don't belong. God doesn't accept you. You don't have God's truth. You don't have God's covenant. It's not the way God wanted it to be because, in fact, what God had told them through Isaiah the prophet was this. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. You who have the covenant, you who have the promises, you who have the law, you who are included, you go out and you be a light for those who are excluded, who don't belong, who don't have the truth. You go do that. And with very few exceptions, they didn't do it. But it was fulfilled in Christ. Now, the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. The light is being shed. Jesus is the light of the world. And now, those who were excluded are now included. Paul reminds these Gentiles that once they were separate. He says, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God. Now, listen to this in verse 13. Most exciting two words you're going to hear today. But now. But now. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. There's a ton in here, but folks, if you don't get anything out of today, but now. This is who you were when you were apart from Christ. You were far away. You were distant. You were excluded. You had no part. You were ignorant. You were unaware. And you were lost. But now. Some of you need to hear this today. Because you have been anchored down by your past. You think that is who you are. God comes to you today to say, but now. But now you are a new creation in Christ. But now you are a child of God through faith in Christ Jesus. But now you belong to me. I know what you were. I saved you from that. But now you're mine. Can you imagine the Gentiles have been excluded, the Gentiles have been put down and probably continue to be unput down by those who call themselves the circumcision. We're the in group and we're putting you down because you're not like us. You didn't come from our background. You don't know all the things we know. We're smarter than you. We're wiser than you. We're holier than you and you're dirty, filthy, stinking dogs and you think God's going to let you into his presence? So they could stand up and say, oh yeah, I was that, but now. Listen, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all come to him the same way as sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And maybe that's your story this morning. You've recognized that that's where you are. You're on the wrong side of the but now. You're separate. You feel far, far away from God. And you have tried to get your act together, to get your life right. And every time you do, it simply seems to fall apart. Today, Christ would invite you to take his hand, to trust in him, and to step on the right side of the butt now. To come up, become a new creation in Christ. Let's move on, finish... Uh, finish up the uh, second half of verse 15 his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to god through the cross by which he put to get to death their hostility this is so neat because we talked about the differences between people and quite frankly there are a lot of differences in our country even in our country that's not even look across the borders. Just in our country, there's so many differences, so many things that divide us, so many things, whether it's our political affiliation or our, where we went to school or whether we went to school, whether it's the kind of job we have, the money we have in the bank, the kind of car we drive, this color of our skin. There's so many things, so many things that divide us, but there's one thing that brings us together. One of the most beautiful verses in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, Neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Everything that would keep us apart, God said, those things don't matter. Because what brings you together is far greater than what keeps you apart. 
You see, Jesus not only died for our sins on the cross, he died to put away the hostility that exists between people. I used to joke a long time ago, it's not really a joke. It's actually the truth. But I remember doing the first article uh, for uh, a newspaper and uh, someone asked the kind of church that Grace Fellowship was. And I said, well, we're, we're kind of an interesting church. We have people from two different kinds of gated communities. Reynolds Plantation and the Greene County Jail. It's true. It's not a joke. It's the truth. And I praise God for it. We chose the hard route. We chose the difficult course. We chose to say, you know what, Uh, all those church growth principles about you can grow a church better if you grow it with people who are all like each other. And we said, when we look through the scriptures, that's not what we see. We see barriers being torn down. We see walls being destroyed. We see bridges being built. We see one new humanity coming out. And I want to tell you something. The greatest testimony that you and I can have is that we value what holds us together more than we value what keeps us apart. And we want to be that kind of people in reality. We want to say that Jesus is supreme so that all other things fade away in his presence. So that we no longer care about what a person's skin color is. We no longer care how much money they have in the bank. We no longer care what their prison record might have been. We no longer care about those things. The only thing we care about is, you are my brother, you are my sister in Christ. We belong to him, we belong to one another. That's what it means to connect. That's what it means to belong. All right, well, I'm getting sidetracked. Let's keep going because we're going to finish chapter 2, I promise. Verse 17, right? Is that where we are? Okay. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Boy, there's a lot in there. But because we were once strangers, aliens, foreigners, but now look at what he says. We are fellow citizens together. We are members of God's household. We're members of the same family. We're no longer outsiders. We're all insiders because of Christ. We're no longer strangers. We're family. And family is not the only illustration he uses here. He also uses the illustration of a building. Not just any building, but a temple. And I think that's very interesting that he uses this, this, this idea of a, a temple because the temple in Jerusalem would have been what would immediately come to mind to most people. And if you remember the temple in Jerusalem, God is not isolated. You can't put God in a box, but God chose to allow his spirit to dwell in a very special place in the temple in Jerusalem in a unique way. 
And now we're told that we are the temple. What makes the temple holy was not the blocks it was built with or the rituals that were performed in it. What made the temple holy was the presence of God. And that's what makes his temple, we his people, holy. The presence of God. Now you might, when you're, when you're on a diet or something, or you're on an exercise routine, you may use the expression, well, the body is a temple. And it is. And, and, and some of us, like me, are on a very big expansion project. No, just kidding. Actually, I'm holding steady, which is a pretty good thing. All right. So the, we're the temple. And we say that individually, but we don't say it together. But that's exactly what Scripture is talking about. That together, we're the temple. Not just individually. It's not just the Holy Spirit lives in me. And I don't know how we'll ever get over this hump because maybe it's part of Americanized Christianity that we think individual, we think people, we think just me and Jesus, but that's not what it means. It means together God's Spirit lives in us in a special, unique kind of way. And we rise together, it says, to become that temple. Each person who belongs to Christ part has part in building that temple together we're god's temple together we accomplish his mission and his purpose there's a big difference between a a pile of bricks and a building and at some point each of us has to make the decision do i want to be an individual brick or do i want to be part of what god's doing part of God's building. Each person must decide whether they want to be a part of God's church or apart from God's church. And if you're wrestling with that decision, I want to ask you to, to weigh it carefully. To choose to be distant from God's church is to choose a path that God has not chosen for you. That's not the way God created you. It's not the way that God designed you. If you make the choice to simply attend church, rather than being an active, engaged part of the church, you do so to your own spiritual harm. I'm not just saying that as a pastor. I'm saying that as someone who knows what it is to be part of a church And knows what it is to be apart from a church. We could stop right here and begin to take testimonies. Of what it means to have a church. In times of dire need. If you don't believe me. Ask Daryl and Sonia and Betsy. If you don't believe me, ask Toby. If you don't believe me, ask anyone who's lost a loved one, anyone who's been through hardship and difficulty, anyone who's had challenges. Would you want to go through this alone? No. And when good things happen in my life, do you know the first people I want to share it with other than just family? I want to share it with my grace group. 
when good things happen, I want to share with not just the bad things, but when good things happen. I immediately, we've got our own little Facebook page. I immediately, I will go share it there. And they share their stuff. And we get to celebrate together. Not just grieve together. Not just hurt together. We get to celebrate together. And when I disconnect, when I pull back, it's it's my spiritual harm. I'm hurting myself. But beyond that, if you choose to simply attend church, rather than being an active, engaged part of the church, You do so to your church's harm. Just imagine if this morning when you were getting up, your left foot said, yeah, I think I'm going to stay in bed. Well, you'd have ended up flat on the floor. You wouldn't get much done. If you've ever had any kind of a disability at all, whether a broken leg, even severe pain or something... It just stops you from doing what you want to do. Simple things. We have a mission as a church, a calling as a church. And I promise you, I promise you that we can accomplish it better together than we could do separately. Being an active part of the church is not always easy and it's not always convenient. And there'll be people who who have differences with you, and, and sometimes you're going to get your feelings hurt. Can I just be honest with you? There are going to be times you get your feelings hurt. It happens in your family. It's going to happen in church. It could be unintentional, completely unintentional, but you're going to get your feelings hurt. There are going to be disagreements. Things won't always be done the way you want done. Preferences won't always be the way you want them to be. But the Bible says we're to put up with one another in love. That we're to prefer others above ourselves. And that we're to be servants. And for me, to those who are ser- currently serving with our children in the small, in our, in our, in our nursery, and in our, our preschool, to those who are serving in powerhouse, to those who served yesterday, to those who fixed the coffee and put out the food, to those who came and welcomed people as they came in the door this morning, to those who took up the offering, to those who are working behind the scenes doing the audiovisual, to all those who make it a part. We're all part of this. No one person can do it alone, and God didn't intend for us to. And so my call to you is a biblical call this morning to be a part of something that God's doing, to be a part of his plan, be a part of his purpose. Connect. Don't just attend on Sundays. Find a group. If you're not connected with a group, connect with a group. We've got a meeting all over the place at all times. Connect. Connect with a, with, with a group that serves. Connect with a group that, that shares. Connect with a group that loves one another. Connect with a group that studies together. Connect. I promise you, your life will be better for it, and your church will be better for it.